seven out of the 10 like most common killers in the world are behavior-based diseases, things that we humans bring on ourselves. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. No matter what you do or where you are in your life right now, I'm pretty sure you've heard the word no more than once. And some of those no's might make you feel like you don't want to get out of bed. This podcast is here to tell you, you're not alone. If all these people can walk through the valley of no's to get to their yes, why can't you? Welcome and thank you for joining me again on 10,000 No's. This is Matthew Del Negro, your host. If you've been here before, welcome back. I am loving all the feedback I've been getting recently. Makes me happy that we're bringing you something of value. Again, all the iTunes reviews are very much appreciated. So if you haven't left one, please consider doing so. It really makes us more visible to people who may stumble upon us in iTunes and wonder if people are actually listening and more importantly, getting something of value from listening. Okay, today I have with me Matt Mayberry. He runs business development at a company in Southern California named Boundless Mind. He's an interesting cat, fascinating mind, and we get into some topics that feel straight out of the matrix if you're not aware of the 1990 film, 1999 film, The Matrix, starring Keanu Reeves, written and directed by the Wachowski brothers. You have to go see it. It'll spark many a philosophical discussion. I cannot believe that film is almost 20 years old. Wow. Back to Matt. He is a behavioral designer. And what I'd love for you to think about as you're listening to him is as fascinating as the concepts he discusses may be, it could just be taken as great cocktail talk, as my brother likes to say. You can impress some people with some of the tidbits Matt gives us, but try to listen from the perspective of how you can possibly apply some of what he and his company do to your everyday life and your goals, particularly when he talks about the new app they've created called Space. I think we have a lot to learn from the principles of what that app does for people, namely that we can choose to take a breath before we make quick, rash decisions. That's just one of the takeaways. I'll come back with more when we're done. But for now, here's Matt Mayberry. I am a technologist, uh, a behavior designer, and uh, an adventurer. So what a behavior designer is, it's somebody that studies human behavior uh, and figures out how we can motivate, shape, change, or alter the behavior of humans. Uh, one thing that we've learned in this century is that the human brain is programmable, uh, and we can actually dictate how people behave or how people act, both with them knowing and without them knowing. Very uh, big brother-ish. Very uh, George Orwell. <laughs> it's a little big brother. It's something that everybody uh, is exposed to every day, whether they know it or not. Um, have you ever been inside a casino? Behavior design. So no windows, uh, no clocks. You know, that's people changing your behavior to stay longer. Uh, if you go to a grocery store, the way that the perishable foods are laid out, left to right, and in the back of the grocery store, is to get you to spend more time walking through the aisles to get to the items that you buy more regularly. Um, if you sit in a car or ride an airplane, all of the behaviors that you do were designed by somebody uh, in a room kind of like me. Yeah. Yeah. I Well, where my mind goes is the motivational aspects of it the um, and the disciplinary aspects of it. Uh, I'm reading a book right now called The One Thing. Okay. 
And it's all about limiting your choices and, uh, you know, focusing on one thing, which I know that you have um, two chairs. I don't know if that still exists. That, is, that still exists. I have two chairs in my house. Why don't yeah. you explain to everybody what that's all about? So it's two things. So one, it's, uh, it's a part of behavior design called choice architecture, where you give people a set of choices and uh, they kind of make a choice. Or they think they made it on their own volition, but really you kind of led them to make that choice. Uh, and two, it's part of like a minimalistic movement that I live. So uh, in my house, I have two chairs for one for me and one for a guest. Uh, and the idea is that if there's more than two people in my house, I don't want them there. So they kind of have to leave because there's nowhere to sit. Uh, and then by having those two chairs, it allows me to have a closer one-on-one -on -one conversation with that person. So if you give somebody a choice at a couch or a bed or another chair or whatever, you could have them scattered. It could be in other rooms. Uh, but this forced me to have a more like personal connection with the people that are visiting. So is it just empty aside from that, or there's also... Uh, it's pretty empty, There's no yeah. TV. You have no TV. I have no TV. Yeah. Um, I have... So people think, oh, so you read a lot of books, which is true. I read a ton of books, but I don't own any books. So I, I use my library card. Uh, every week I get a new set of books. Um, really no screens. I have an iPad computer, uh, two chairs. It's very, very... Same bachelor pad is a, is a poor way to describe it, because this is like a level above that where it's more thought out. But it's it's designed to help me... Um, live a life that I want to live. And so my house is a little colder than it should be in terms of like not temperature, but what you would feel being in it and forcing me to get out and go for a run or go to the beach or take advantage of the neighborhood that I live in. Um, otherwise, you know, you can be a homebody if you have too much comfort in where you live. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, when I first heard, I, I heard you say that I was thinking like, um, Christian Bale on American Psycho. He's got everything is so specifically yes. you know, laid out. And then um, I know that uh, Thoreau mm -hmm. was the one who, who you did not know that when you. I did started. not know that. Yeah. So okay. I think Thoreau is three chairs and I'm two. So he was one above me. Well, if, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough. For yeah, me. right. It exactly. But so so where I, I think about it is just in in terms of um, why don't you d describe what it is that you do or what your company does before we even get to that? How how was it? You know, um, kids are growing up. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's going. I want to go into behavioral design. Correct. Uh, I don't know that I ever thought of it as as an option. I don't know if it was labeled that you know, back when I was younger. Um, but how, what was the path that got you there? What were you interested in originally? What, you know, what were you studying at school? That kind of thing. Sure. So the, the job that I have now, I would consider my dream job. It's what I've worked my entire life uh, to get to, to achieve. The job that I have now did not exist 10 years ago. So if you would asked me 10 years ago, what I thought I was going to be doing, what my dream job was, there's no way I would have thought it, it is what I do today. Um, so to give a quick background, so I studied economics in college. I graduated from the School of Social and Behavioral Sciences. And then I took this kind of long, winding career path that couldn't have been further from what I do today. So I worked uh, in corporate insurance, brokering like large insurance deals for Fortune 100 and 500 companies. It was very much like you wear a suit every day, you sit in a cubicle, get on the phone, you get there at five in the morning, you leave at 10 at night. It was about as vanilla and as boring as plain as you could possibly imagine. Uh, after burning out from that very quickly, uh, I lived overseas for a couple of years and I worked in ocean freight shipping or ocean freight shipping. So I brokered like uh, 
If you see those big container ships that move across the ocean. I think of The Wire. Yeah, season exactly. Season one of The Wire. Yeah. Basically, that season of The Wire with all the huge containers is what I was doing. So not actually at the docks, but the company that was taking goods. So I lived in Finland. So taking, uh, we did a lot of like paper, um, chocolate, um, whey protein, oddly enough, uh, and getting that from Finland to other parts of the world. Uh, traveled some, traveled a little bit, came back home, and then I went into healthcare sales. So I did um, implant instrumentation sales for orthopedic and plastic surgery. And this is kind of where the behavior starts to come in. So a lot of the patients that I worked with had behavior-based diseases. So they smoked, uh, they drank too much, they didn't exercise, they ate too much sugar, poor diet, and it led to these terrible diseases. So cardiovascular health, uh, diabe- you know, diabetes, diabetic foot wounds, uh, we would go in and we would do these very complicated, very expensive surgeries on these people, and they simply couldn't change their behavior. So we would say, you need to stop smoking, you need to exercise, you need to cut the sugar, otherwise we're going to do the surgery again. It's going to cost you another $20,000, it's going to be very painful, you're not going to be able to walk. And we'd see him back in the OR a month later, no change. We'd tell him the same story again, cut the behavior, change the behavior, or you're going to be back here, we can do the surgery again. month later, back in. And finally, you do so many surgeries, you lose the structural integrity of the foot, the wound gets so bad, there's nothing left, and you have to amputate. So we'd look at these people and we'd say, it's come to this this far, we're going to cut off your foot. A month later, in the parking lot, smoking, drinking, eating sugar, right before they're going to get a limb removed. And after about three or four of these, I decided, like, I, I can't live this life anymore. So I started researching why. Why can't people change their habits? Why can't they change their behavior? What is so strong outside of the non-addictive qualities like nicotine or sugar? What is making somebody, you know, why are they unable to, even when their life depends on it, form a new habit or break a habit, which kind of led me down this rabbit hole, which then led me into being a behavior designer. And so I met somebody that had just launched a brand new company. Uh, We had a couple shared affinities and he was doing, or they were doing behavior design in the digital space. So how can we help humans thrive using our devices. Um, What's amazing about the digital space is that we can quickly make decisions and experiment on people much rapidly or much more rapidly than we could in person. In in what way? Explain that to me. Sure. So if you, um, let's say you want to go for a run and you work with a personal trainer, your personal trainer can observe a few things about you. They can see that you're tired. They can see how hard you're pushing. Uh, and they can deliver maybe a high five here and there to make you feel good. Um, that little high five releases dopamine. It makes you feel good, and it makes you want to keep running. Um, it's an, a, an inexact science because what the trainer can't do is see or remember or log or experiment on your previous behavior, nor can they accurately predict your future behavior. They kind of have to live in the moment and sort of read you and decide should you feel good right now to give you that high five. Uh, If you use a running app that uses the technology that we've developed at our company, we can see your previous behavior, we can see your current behavior, and we can actually accurately predict how you're going to behave in the future. And we know exactly how to give you those perfectly timed high fives to help you build that habit or keep you using that piece of software, keep you down that same training path. That's fascinating to me. And my mind goes to parenting. Mm Mm-hmm. It goes to uh, relationships. Sure. Um, goes to sports. I mean, it goes, uh, you know, I'm just thinking of that. Uh, the 
with kids, tough love versus um, reward, when to do it, when which one serves you better. I mean, like the, the description of the the patients not getting off. It sounds like a day in the life of, of being a parent. It does. You know? Yeah. Like, you got to get off now. And then you, you know, you're giving them an ultimatum and a lot of times they don't follow through. And then there's a consequence that they're really unhappy about. And you go, man, I didn't want to, I didn't want to take that away for a week. Sure. You know, but here, here we go. You keep, you know, um, how do you, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about uh, something that I've been reading a lot lately. I feel like it's it's been uh, kind of keeps coming back to me. A lot of people talking about the uh, the knowledge or the the pondering our own existence and our own death in order mm-hmm. to realize, hey, we only have so many seconds in this day. We need to use them because we don't know when it's when it's all done. Uh, that sounds like a, almost like working in that capacity uh, for you to look at people, maybe not at the end of their lives, but at the end of a portion of their lives to be losing limbs and everything. Yeah, it, it's it's awful to see. Um, I think seven out of the ten like most common killers in the world are behavior based diseases, things that we humans bring on ourselves. So there's some things that the cancer, it just shows up, you know, motorcycle accident or car accident, those just happen. But, you know, your cardiovascular health or diabetes, these are things that we decide to get for the most part. We decide to to pick up habits and behaviors that kill us. A um, hundred years ago, the things that killed humans were infectious diseases. So things that we got from rats or mice or the environment or whatever, you know, terrible plagues. Uh, the things that kill us now are kilowatts, so too much screen time, uh, calories, uh, you know, and, and kilobytes being lazy, being fat, being, um, you know, poor diets. It's it's terrible. But we've brought this on ourselves. And as humans, we need to start looking at is this is this the world that we want to live in where we're going to be so um, so just like uh, not ambivalent, but we're just, we're just not going to care about these things anymore because it's, if you look down the street, I mean, obesity is the highest it's ever been in the world. Uh, it's the highest it's been in the developing world, which is very rare. Um, and it's terrible. It's no way for us to go through life as humans. Yeah. Well, given what you do, what, what are your thoughts philosophically on why people would put themselves into a position what where they're harming themselves? What do you think it is that people are avoiding or that people are, why are people choosing uh, to do this in your opinion? Mm -hmm. So there's probably two reasons. One is it's easy. It's so easy to get fast, ready-made food. Uh, It takes a lot of effort to buy organic, then to cook it, to do it within your time schedule. Um, And the second is there's a, there's, um, there are greater forces that shape our behavior that people are not aware of. And we see that a lot now in technology. So the time that we spend on social media, uh, the time that we spend using Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, um, that's causing us to live a more sedentary life. It's causing us to live maybe a more unhealthy life. Um, and that is behavior design at work. There are people like me that work for those companies that want you to constantly be staring at your phone. 
And that's what's causing a lot of this like kind of ennui or ambivalence or just negative energy that gets put out there. Uh, that's making us lazy, dumb, fat. So sick. describe that for, that's a perfect segue into what your company does. Um, and you, you work, and I'm very interested in this mm-hmm. fact that you work, you guys work on both sides of the coin. We you do. You help uh, developers, app developers, and um, companies like that to have products that are more addictive. And then you also work on the customer side, I think, in helping people uh, deal or battle with their addictions. So I want to get into that a little bit, just the... the um, how you manage those two opposing roles, mm-hmm. uh, how the company does, and also a little bit more specifically what you're talking about when you're saying Twitter, Instagram, that they're, that they're like what practices they are actually using on us. Sure. So uh, the majority of our team, and our company is called Boundless Mind. We used to be called Dopamine Labs. Uh, we're called Boundless Mind now. And the majority of our team graduated from the neuroscience master's program uh, at USC. So we have two PhDs on staff at that program. Um, our COO has a master's in there. And when we looked about starting the company, the number one private sector employer of people with our backgrounds is Harris Casino. It's the gaming industry. It's getting people to gamble more. And we looked at that. We're like, that's terrible. We don't want that. And then we looked about the second highest employer, and it was like a Google or a Facebook. It was these large-scale media companies who wanted to employ those same tactics and kind of black box it. So like I think Facebook now has a team of like 350 uh, whose job it is simply just to get you to use Facebook one minute more every day, whatever it would be. And we thought to ourselves, well, that's crazy to have like two or three companies in the world that are basically dictating – you know, 50% of the time that we spend awake every day. And so we said, what if we took what we know about neuroscience, about behavior, about habits, and we distilled it down into the easiest, simplest to use software product and made it available to any company in the world. And so now teams that are working on health and wellness apps, meditation apps, uh, personal fitness apps, personal finance apps can use that same power of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Google and put that in their app using our technology that we've developed. Uh, We avoid working with casinos. It's very easy for us to do. Uh, We avoid most gaming companies. We avoid anything that has any sort of like harmful or antisocial tendency to it. So we kind of avoid some of the other larger social media apps. What we want is the time that you would spend on Facebook or the time that you would spend endlessly scrolling Instagram, why not use what they know to help you run faster or help you get a little bit of mindfulness in your favorite meditation app? Or um, we have a couple of huge pharmaceutical clients that help people stick to a very, very tight uh, medical routine. So these patients have to wake up every day at a certain time, take their medicine, and we help them adhere to that. That is a net good for the world. I mean, you can't argue that's a bad thing. Um, the second thing that we do is we make an app called space, which you can get at youjustneedspace.com. And what space does is it helps you break, uh, or kind of step away from addiction is a bad word, but your reliance on some of the larger social media apps. So if you feel like you use, you know, Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook too much, 
uh, space will actually help you rewire the instant gratification sensors in your brain and make you use it a little bit less. So we're not telling you that those apps are bad and that you shouldn't use them. We're just giving you a tool if you wanted to use them a little bit less and have a more kind of um, mindful practice to how you use those apps. How does that work? What are some of the tactics you guys? So we basically kind of reverse engineered our core AI system. And what we do is when you want to go and use, so you download space, you put it on your phone and you tell us what apps you want to break free from. And so if you are on Android, it'll basically populate every app on your phone. Uh, on Apple, it's a closed operating system. So you kind of have to manually pick once we've kind of selected for you. And then what it does is it makes a little icon uh, that replaces your normal, we'll use Facebook as an example. So instead of your blue Facebook icon, you get a little one that's uh, a little galaxy with the Facebook logo. And every time you want to launch Facebook, you click the little galaxy space icon and it cartwheels you to a breathing screen and it makes you take a breath and you kind of breathe in and you pause and then it puts you into Facebook. And what happens is the more that you binge Facebook, the greater that breath sequence becomes. So it might be two breaths the next time, then four, and then eight. But if you don't use Facebook, then it goes back down. So the the breathing dynamically adjusts to your usage pattern. And what it's doing is putting a soft stop between your brain saying, I want to do something, and then the reward, which is opening the app, And the longer that we increase the time between the cue of wanting to use it and then the reward, the greater chance it is that you're going to want to use that less. So the way our brain works is the quicker that we can get a reward for doing a behavior, the quicker it becomes a habit. So if you go and pull slot machine handle, uh, it doesn't take 10 minutes to get a prize. It happens instantly. Uh, you know, when you work out, somebody gives you a high five, it's not a slow motion for your two hands to touch. It's fast. And this is what makes us feel good. And so by putting in these breathing screens in space, your brain stops processing. Oh, cool behavior. Oh, I got a reward. Let's keep doing it. It kind of makes you, I mean, it's it literally does rewire your instant gratification. It makes you step back and not want to do that behavior as much as you were doing it before. What's fascinating about that is it's such a simple concept. And literally just this morning, my son said, hey, dad, can I get the, uh, he has Xbox and there's something called Forza. It's a driving game. Sure. And there are different courses you can get. And he said, can I get the, you know, I, I almost have enough money. He does chores and he makes the money and he goes, I almost have enough money to get the whatever it was, the go-kart one or whatever it might okay. have been. And I said, no, I want you to, you know, let's save that money and, and invest that money. Let's let's think of something more long-term. And I go, didn't, I just got you uh, one of the, you know, the different courses. And he goes, yeah, but this is a new one. And I just looked at him and, and he smiled. And I said, why don't you, why don't you use that one? exhaust that one. Mm-hmm. And I reminded him of a game that he'd, he'd gotten. His friend was over and I gave in too quickly. And as a parent, you realize all the time where you're going wrong. I gave in too quickly. I got something. It was like 30 bucks and he kind of never uses it. And I reminded him of that. And he said, well, I, but I never used that one. I said, exactly. Yeah. You know, maybe the next time, maybe if you think on it for a little while, after you think on it, you're not going to want it so much. Exactly. Sometimes just, just the so act simple. of purchasing is like, that's the reward. That's people makes them feel good. It's why um, shopping addiction is such a big thing. People just buy things because they like to know that 
the checkout went through and then they get the item like, I never wanted this. Um, I do that. You know, I I don't think of myself as much of a shopper Mm -hmm. for clothes, but I feel like with books, it's interesting you said that you only do library books. I used to be a big library guy. I feel like books are a good thing. You know, you can't say many bad things about books. However, I do think I have a lot of books right now that I have yet to read. See, that's the problem. And maybe if I took a breath, I would go, okay. Maybe maybe I don't need it this time. Maybe I don't need it right now. Maybe I put it on a list. And I do have another list in my phone that's really long of all the books that have been suggested. And um, it's it's amazing how simple these principles are and that this is – that that this is has such a great effect it does on, on society yeah our biggest thing is intervention drives behavior change so i'm sure you've probably seen and people have seen your listeners have seen you know apple uh and google and instagram are now doing these kind of like time well spent movements where you're now on your iphone you can see how much time you're spending on your iphone how much time you're spending in instagram you know where you're using it all these different things that's great that doesn't drive behavior change. All they're showing you is a really shiny graph. And most people haven't figured this out yet, but they're actually, you're going to use your phone more because you're going to be constantly checking how much you're using your phone. And that keeps you now on your iPhone. So if you actually want real behavior change, you need an intervention. And that's what space does. It doesn't just, you know, help you launch Facebook, but having that breathing screen is what you need if you want to drive a long-term behavior change. Um, if Apple wanted to get serious or if Instagram wanted to get serious, they would, they would block out your phone for 30 minutes a day. You can't use it. Or Instagram would log you out and say, you can't get in. This is your intervention. And I guarantee you people would use Instagram less. Yeah. They won't yeah, do it. But that's not what they want. Nope, <laughs> that not doesn't do it. really uh, yeah. work in with the, uh, the company's mission. No, not at all. Um, so you describe to me the, and, and to the listeners, um, what it is you do uh, how you operate when you have potential clients mm-hmm. and um, you you have been, I don't know if you're pitching them what your services are, what you can do for them, and uh, what your standard operation is after somebody signs on to work with you. I found that fascinating. Sure. This is actually something we're very proud of. So we have somewhat of a closed system. So not any person can just come on and instantly start using what we've built. Um, we have a bunch of kind of roadblocks to prohibit that happening. One, there's some technical limitations, which I won't get into because it's not an engineering podcast. But uh, the second is we want to really make sure that the people that use this very um, this very complex and very powerful thing that we built use it the right way. And so if somebody signs up for and they want to use the Boundless API, they have to, one, talk to me first. And I run them through a values alignment kind of a session where they have to check off a series of boxes to make sure that whatever behavior they want to increase or whatever actions they want their users to do more of, or whatever behaviors or habits um, they're going to form has to be good for the user. So if they want their users to spend more money on you know, racetracks in a game, I say no. If they want their users to simply use their phone, but there's no sort of like benefit to the user, we say no. If they have something harmful like gambling, or they want, um, we get a lot of we get a lot of interest from consumer packaged good companies that want people to drink more sugary sodas or smoke more cigarettes. I have to say no to those as well. So after they pass um, 
this this kind of like walkthrough, then we grant them access. And then they work with somebody like myself or one of my teammates to actually figure out what are the behaviors that are worth increasing and what is it going to do to both the user and the company. Uh, a great example is we work with a mindfulness company that wants to increase uh, the frequency in which people do meditations. That's a good thing. So the user is opting into this service. They want to meditate. Our technology helps nudge them to complete their daily meditation. And then we also help reinforce the action of taking a second meditation that day. So if somebody's looking to build a long-term um, habit around daily meditation, our technology will help give them those little digital high fives to do that. Okay. That's a good thing. It's good for the company because now they have users that are using their software properly. It's good for the user because they're opting in for that behavior. Uh, and it's nothing nefarious. No one's doing anything bad. And, and that's according to you. I mean, that's you guys, in a way, you guys are playing God in this in this circumstance. Yeah. I, I happen to agree with you. Meditation sure. will help and having, but, but so you, it's, it's according to your values. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. But we, we make sure that, um, the people have to want to do it. So there's nothing that, you know, if you, if you download a running app on your phone, you've made a decision to be a runner. Yeah. So the idea used to be where you would go out and you'd buy a pair of running shoes and you would say, I aspire to be a runner. And that was your first step. There was nothing in between you buying those shoes and you getting to the starting line, uh, except for your own free will and choice and thought. Now, if you get an app and that app has our technology in it, we're going to lead you to that starting line and to the finish line. We're going to know exactly, as you as an individual person, how you need to be rewarded and motivated and nudged to complete your running goals, more so than just buying the shoes. We're going to make you a finisher. That's, That's a really, good thing. Yeah. We're excited about that. That's really cool. So so what are some of those things that, that you guys have automated now um, where I'm thinking about my listeners who, you know, tune into this podcast because it's... It's all about um, kind of encouraging people to keep going on when maybe mm -hmm. they, they've hit a wall. Um, so I'm thinking about this, whether it's training for a marathon or it's, you know, just uh, weightlifting or it's learning a new language or learning how to play the guitar. What are th this isn't necessarily what you do, but behind what you do. What are some of the things, the techniques we talked about breathing? If you're doing something that's maybe going to take you down a bad path, we've talked about taking a pause mm -hmm. and thinking about that or just giving yourself space. But what are some of the things that people could do? Or if there, maybe there are trainers out there listening or coaches in some way, how have you built the system to give those rewards? What are the things people can do? Say they don't have whatever app it is that sure. you're, you're, you know, what do I do? I'm going, I, I want to get up and I want to write my screenplay every day. So what can I do to help my cause? So I'll give you uh, a non-technical answer and then a very technical answer. So okay. the non-technical answer is uh, you use what's called a variable reward schedule. And the core of our technology is that. So in a variable reward schedule, you do a behavior and not every time that you do that behavior, uh, not too frequently, not too infrequently, you get a reward for doing it. And the personal trainer example, still a great example. So you go out, you lift, and every now and then, the trainer gives you a high five. He doesn't do it every time you, you lift. He doesn't do it after every set. He does it when he thinks that you need it. And so the way that our brain is set up is we want to be surprised and delighted. It's what the dopamine molecule does. And so we, 
We seek out these things that surprise and delight us and that make us feel good. And getting that reward helps release dopamine. So slot machine is nothing more than a variable reward schedule. You pull, you pull, no win, no win, no win, win. Oh my God, that felt good. I'm going to keep pulling, pull, pull, no win, no win, win. That felt good. No win, no win, and on and on and on this and on. This is sounding uh, oddly like an acting career. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Very similar. But I'm sure even in your career, this has kept you going all these years that for every no, when you do hit a yes, it feels so good that your brain is like, oh my God, and you still chase that high and you, you'll put up with the rejection over. It's just like dating over and over and over again for that one yes, because your brain needs it. It craves it. It seeks it out. It's, it's how we're built as humans. It's what makes us a programmable species. Yeah. And so the overly technical answer. So at Boundless, what we do is we've built this variable reward schedule for each individual person. So when somebody uses an app that we're already baked into, you come in and we spend uh, about two weeks in a thing with it's basically data collection. So we kind of just listen and observe and see how you behave. So when you use the app, what actions you do, how you kind of move through it. And then after those 14 days on day 15, we start to deliver these perfectly timed like rewards or reinforcements to you in the app. So we'll use um, the meditation app as an example. When somebody completes a meditation, we decide should that user feel good about doing it based on their previous behavior. So have they been meditating a lot? Great. That means that they're probably building that habit. So we'll do something like give them a little confetti burst that falls from the screen. And they'll say, wait, I didn't get that last time. That's that's new. That's different. And they feel good. Then they say to themselves, I wonder if I meditate again, am I going to get that? And they'll meditate. And then they won't get it. They're like, man, that, that was weird. I got it that one time. What if I meditate again? And what they're doing is we're training them to build a habit. So now they've meditated two or three more extra times. And then our system goes, well, they've done it. They probably don't expect it now. And then we give it to them again. And then their brain again, wow, that felt really good. That surprised me. That delighted me. It came at a time when I didn't expect it. What if I meditate again? And on and on and on and on. And so if you're training for something or you want to build a new habit, this is the quickest and the easiest and most efficient way to do that. To yourself? Can you do it to yourself or what are you meaning like if you're training someone else? Train somebody else. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. To yourself, it's a little more difficult because you kind of expect you it. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. An easy way to do it would be, um, so you're writing your screenplay. Do you have, do you reward yourself when you complete like a certain number of pages or anything? No. No. Uh, do you have a favorite like candy, beer, activity, something that you enjoy doing? Um, yeah, but I don't. Yeah, go on. So it's something like that. Give myself just randomly. Yeah, and here's what you should do. You should get like a six-sided die. And when you feel like you've completed 10 pages of your screenplay, whatever your your kind of like minimum bar is, uh, give yourself a number, one through six, whatever your favorite number is, and roll the die. And if your number comes up, you get a reward. So go out and have a beer. And if your number doesn't come up, go back to writing, do it again the next day. And every time that you finish, roll that dice. It's not as good as a variable reward schedule because you have one of six outcomes, but it still is enough for like you'll be excited to get that reward and you're not doing it every time. Yeah. You're not doing it, you know, too infrequently enough, but still enough to feel good and be surprised by it. Well, I I um heard you saying something about your 
company went. <laughs> this this was like one of those biblical stories where I I've had a couple of stories I remember hearing growing up in church about mm-hmm. uh, even like the prodigal son that, that the prodigal son was rewarded and like basically he was a slacker for like twenty years he comes back and it's like oh here you go and the other one stayed there and didn't and I was like why why is he getting rewarded but you had something where you said you guys do the the rolling of the dice mm-hmm. where you will give an employee, each employee has a number, one through six or whatever, sure. and you roll the die and that person could get lucky three months in a row or three weeks in a row, or they could not get picked for a year. Exactly. And it is what it is. It is what it is. And how do people respond to it? They, they respond well. You know, it's an inefficient- I guess the ones that don't get picked are like, what's going Sure. On? Yeah. It's, it's an inefficient way to do it. Um, a lot of technology companies use a dice roll or what's called a random number generator to decide- um, how you should get rewards and apps. The problem is that eventually your power users will tire out. So they'll get tired of seeing something like this because they, they see it as an intrusion. Uh, and then your kind of low-performing users won't get called enough and they won't see the benefit in it. Um, so it's it's not optimal, but it's better than nothing. Got it. Yeah. Got it. I, I'm thinking again of parenting and, and, I'm, and I'm also sifting through my mind of all the, um, you know, coaches I've had in sports sure. throughout my life and and which ones were kind of using this technique in a certain way, maybe without knowing it, but where you would go like, man, they're really hard on me. They're really hard on me. They're really hard. Wow. They just gave me a huge compliment. It meant so much to right. hear it because I didn't, you yeah. know, I never got anything from them. And all of a sudden now, then you want to, you know, you're eager to get it again. Looking back on your career or in your, in your life, would you say that you received more um, – did you get the stick more or the carrot more? That's a good question. Um, if my brother is listening, he gave me the stick more than the carrot. Okay. What about through uh, like coaching or I sports? I would say – well, that's what I was just thinking. I had some coaches that uh, – <clears throat> excuse me. I'm thinking of my my high school football coach was more – more stick, but then he would throw in the 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 reward. Okay. Um, and then there was a, a guy that I responded well to who was an assistant coach in college, and he was more reward. And I remember really kind of feeling like, oh, okay, he was a similar body type, and he played the same position, and so I got I felt like I had like a a model to go after. Right. You know, I could do it the way he did it, and he was very encouraging. The you know, carrot? The carrot. Wildly more effective than the stick. So if you're out there and you have children. Wildly more effective. 100%. According to? Science. Really? Yes. The way our, the, the, the way our brains work. Okay. We, we just we respond better to, to a positive reinforcement than we do uh, something negative. So if you're a parent out there and you want your kids to study, taking them for ice cream is better than taking away the Xbox. You don't want to have this negative thing because they... My, my team is going to kill me. I can't think of the word right here, but always default to carrot is the best way to go. Always. Huh. Always. Yeah. God, that's hard to do sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm sure it's I mean, I'm just, not a parent myself, and I'm sure it's very difficult. It's, but, uh, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I hear, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts as well, and I, and I was listening to one the other day on uh, somebody talking about the children that were kind of like the, the difficult children. He was one of them, you mm-hmm. know, and he was incredibly uh, intelligent and successful in, in coaching kids that were 
um, considered the problem child. And he said something along those lines. And he had a whole script of how he did it. And I was like, okay, great, great. Got it. And then like, you know, real world situation with my kids. And I'm like, wait a second. Why? I, I, it is hard to follow Try it. it. Experiment. Do you have but more than one kid? I, more than one. Yeah. I have a boy and a girl. You yeah. could, uh, if you want to get a, a little uh, scientific, have one be the control and then have one be the experiment. And you could try it out on both your kids or do them at the same time and do one as a stick and one as a carrot. And you can pick a behavior, pick something that they're both struggling with and see which one responds better and which one has a better outcome. It's going to be the carrot. It's going to be the carrot. It's going to be the carrot. Yeah. You know, I, I heard you say that in another interview and I and I... I, I think I kind of paused when I heard it and I um, and it and it's it's shocking to hear it again. Just like that. You're so d- definitive about that. Yeah. Carrot. It's just no questions. No questions. Yeah. I'm happy to give you like 100 years of scientific papers on it, but that's, no, that's just no, the way re- I... it's the way reinforcement learning works and the way that our brain responds to those things is we want to be rewarded in the, in the positive. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't feel good. Yeah. Huh. Because sometimes I think I, I well, I guess I, I go both ways. Sometimes I think I could be too much stick and sometimes I feel like I'm too much carrot. You're sure. saying there's no such thing as too much carrot. I mean, you have to have boundaries. Sure, of course. And this isn't like a, a discipline yeah. issue. It's more of if you wanted somebody to build or break a habit mm-hmm. uh, or start or stop a behavior, carrot. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, what else do I want to talk to you about here? Um Okay. One, one thing was, um, I know as an actor, what happens for me, um, in working on a TV show or a film, um, when I go to watch films or shows, one, I will know, invariably know some of the people Mm -hmm. on screen. Um, I could recognize uh, a back lot. I could, um, I know certain techniques. I know story structure. There are things that have, in a way, pulled the curtain back for me. And I can see underneath. And I can see what they're doing or how they are presenting this story. Um, My wife will sometimes say, like, you know, you've ruined TV for me. Because I'm like, oh, there's, you know, Charlie. Taking away the magic. And she's like, oh, my God. (laughs) Um, So has this, in a a similar way... uh, Knowing how how all of this works when you're in just normal everyday situations, are you kind of constantly assessing how someone is presenting themselves to you, how they're uh, the options that they're laying out for you? Is is that always on your mind? I'm definitely more aware of it than I was five years ago. Um, I'm always impressed when I see it done well. Uh, it's it's being done very well in technology. So there are people that are extremely bright that are using a lot of these tools and tactics where every now and then I find myself being like, damn it, you got me. Like what? Give us an example. Um, so there's a really famous uh, neuroscience experiment about two bowls of soup. So they took two guys and they gave one guy a bowl of soup. It's like tomato soup. And then the guy next to him uh, and the guy next to him, they had a hose that was pumping up more soup through the bottom. And they found out that if you, and this is what's called stopping rules. So, the guy that had a hard stop, which is you run out of soup, stopped eating. The guy that continued and didn't have a stopping rule because the bowl kept getting refilled, ate and ate and ate and ate. And they ran this experiment, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And the people that had the bowl that constantly refilled 
ate something like 73% more soup. They just kept going and going and going and going because they had nothing to tell them to stop. This is like growing up Italian. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is why I eat so much pasta. You know, I should find out uh, <laughs> who the uh, who the professor was in that experiment. Um, so now if you use social media, one thing to look at is the endless scroll. I'm sure you've seen it. If you go on uh, Twitter, there's no end of Twitter. You can't get to the bottom of Twitter. Twitter scrolls and scrolls and scrolls uh. and scrolls. And you will spend a lifetime trying to get to the bottom of it doesn't happen. It's stopping rules. Same thing on Instagram. It's designed to keep you going. There's nothing that says go to the next page or you've seen everything. You scroll and you scroll. And even if you run out of content that you want to see, they make suggestions. It's an endless, endless scroll. It's just like the soup program. And it gets people to use these apps more and to be locked into you know, scrolling forever. We're all going to have really, really strong thumbs. That's going to be our like species evolution. Like we lost the tail, and now we're going to have like super strong, ten foot long thumbs at some point. It, 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 these are all things that are just glaringly obvious. But I, you know, I'm not. I never thought of that as being sure. And unless you, know, you worked I, in the field or studied neuroscience or behavior, you you wouldn't think about these things. But somebody like me sat in a room and had studied the soup problem and was like, I got an idea. I'm going to put this into Twitter. And there's some engineer that was like, oh, endless scroll, done. Well, what's an example in real life, like just like day-to-day, face-to-face human interaction where you go, oh, that was good? Um, people ask me that question all the time. I never have a solid answer. Let me, let me think of one. Um, oh, Pricing models are really good. So pricing models is a form of choice architecture. So you'll see things like, uh, you know, the bronze, silver, and gold plan. And it doesn't really matter which one you choose because the company's already won by getting you to pick one. And they make maybe the gold one way too high that oh, nobody is, ever buys. I, I got it. The movie theater. The movie theater. Popcorn. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the yeah. bronze one doesn't give you enough and they just want you to, you know, to do the silver. Or like you, you see it when uh, – if you ever buy a house, the realtor shows you like – the really good one, and then like a string of crappy ones, and they get back to you, and you go, "Oh, I want the good one because everything else was terrible." Things yeah. like that, yeah, really, really common. Yeah, <laughs> I was just test driving cars the other day, and that's they they somehow always put you in like the limited edition. Yeah, it's you know, the only one we have. We yeah. can't get any other one. Sure, yeah. And you start asking questions. Well, the base model is uh, exactly yeah. yeah. Um, so so uh, something that you know I I think about. Is this, uh, I guess it could be viewed as manipulation on one hand, Mm -hmm. and it could also be viewed as attention to detail, um, thoughtfulness. Uh, I'm just thinking of, you have a married couple, Mm -hmm. and you you say, you, you know, thinking, oh, today is a special day, even if it's not a birthday, it's not a major thing, but it's a special day because of this certain thing. And I'm going to get this. I mean, how do you, how do you view it? I, I'm imagining you view it as thoughtfulness, but, you know, does it just depend on the circumstance and what the end goal is, whether it's manipulation or serving someone more effectively? Sure. So we don't look at look at it as manipulation. Um, there are a lot of other companies that do close to what we do that are a lot more manipulative because they're not open about it. 
we talk about it freely. We do podcasts like this, or we do press pieces, or we, we tell people, this is the current state of the art. This is what's happening. Be aware of it. And you can choose to have, you know, those apps on your phone or on your iPad or things that you put, you know, on your computer, uh, or you cannot. And so we make sure that anything that we do has to have, well, first, an opt-in. So a user has to want to do it. And then what we think of is more of a hyper-personalized experience tailored to each person. And so instead of, um, this is a good question. You threw me with manipulation. <laughs> it, uh, my hard answer is no, it's not manipulative. It's more of, we want, we want to give people the tools to be the best person that they can be. So to encourage human thriving. And if that means you put an app on your phone that has something like what we do baked into it, you've made that choice, you've made that decision, and we're going to help you get there. And if you don't want it, you're not going to do it. You just there's no there's not going to be another option or another way for you to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, I I can identify with that. I, I'm thinking of you know when I was younger, I think uh, I viewed you know when someone would uh, get a you, you know give some kind of a a gift to me or to someone else. And, and it was just like a, a very, like a, a secretary sent something that was, you know, thoughtful or whatever. Right. You go, oh, come on. You know, it's like, you're, what are you trying to buy from me? What are you trying to, you're trying to buy my approval? Or are you trying to do this? And now I've come to think and, and come to see it differently where I think it's, it's like, wow, someone went above and beyond thought of me for something. Yeah. And took the time to do this. It's just a little gesture. Exactly. So I can see it. I can see it. But I can see how people view this both ways. Sure. Very fair. It's a fair way to look at it. Um, but again, you know, you feel good when you get those things. And somebody did take the time and take the energy and take the effort to send it to you. Yeah, maybe they wanted something, but you still got a benefit from it. Maybe you know whatever the gift was, or it got you to exhibit a certain behavior later in the future. Um, you still have free will and the freedom to say no. You can still walk away. You can still delete the app, power down the phone, do whatever you want. Um, there are forces that are trying to get you to do other things, but you, you can still, it's, it's hard. And we're, a lot of people and a lot of companies are trying very, very hard to remove that from you, but it's still possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about what it is that you do and how it works. Um in keeping with the theme of the show of 10,000 knows, uh, you know, the fact that you came to this field through uh, other careers is, is a bit of a no, but are there any particular no's that stand out to you in your, you know, growing up or anything that maybe led you to where you are now, other than what we talked about in the beginning? Uh, yeah. I mean, it sounds cliche to say that, like, you've heard no your whole life, but I've heard a lot of no's, shockingly enough. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I grew up um, you know, in a privileged life here in Los Angeles. And so my life hasn't been hard, but every step of the way, there's always somebody that, um, I remember my, my, I went to a very bougie, uh, private Catholic school here in Los Angeles. And I had a Dean that was, I think my junior or senior year call me incorrigible. Like I was like impossible to deal with. I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm, I'm pretty nice. Like I don't do anything bad. Um, but yeah, every step of the way, you know, there's there's the job that you want, but they tell you that you're too young or too inexperienced. Or there's the task that you want, but you you don't have the knowledge yet, but even though you think you do. Or um, you know, there's the there's the job that you want to go to and um, 
they they find something wrong with you know personality, something that's not uh, you know part of your character, but they just kind of pull out of nowhere. So these kind of ten thousand no examples. I mean, we see it every day. It's most of the time, maybe especially for me, it's the ten thousand no's that I probably told myself. I think that's the hardest thing is uh, we make a lot of excuses for ourselves as humans as to why we can't do something. So why we're not successful, why we're not in shape, why we're not um, married, why we're not you know having the career that we want. Because uh, we constantly, constantly find an excuse and tell ourselves no. And that's been a big battle, I'm sure, for a lot of people and, and me in general. Is I can find a million reasons to tell myself no. Finding yes is always the hardest one. It's a great answer. And and I agree with you um, that it's all on us, the good and the bad. Yeah. There are difficult situations for everyone, but it, it ends up, and some people have, you know, that's not to, to just give a blanket statement. There are some people who are up against some incredible odds. So there, there are those exceptions. But for the most part, even in those, you know, the stories that inspire us are these people that lost all four limbs or, or, you know, in some way we're paralyzed completely and still managed to forge ahead. And I, and I, I do think that it's, it's from saying, okay, yeah, this is, this is it. What's next. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. Um, so <clears throat> how would you, what's your definition of the word? No, what, what, you know, how would you define that? Like what, what does it do what is what does it do to you? You know, is it or how do you handle it? How do you how have you come to handle it now when sure. there's a rejection? Like you said before, there there could be rejections. You don't get somewhere. What what do you do now differently? That's a good. It's a loaded question about the the power of no. Um, so I I lived uh, I lived overseas. I lived in Finland uh, for for quite a while, and in Finnish we have a word called susi s u s i. Uh, and it basically translates to like stoic determination. So the country of Finland, they really don't complain. It's just a good thing that it doesn't exist in that country. Like it's in winter, it's dark, it's snowy, it's terrible. Nobody complains about it. It just is what it is. And so they had this idea of Susi where the company or the, the country um, and the people that come out of it are always very focused without having to be overly excited or overly like kind of grandstanding. They just go out there and they do it. And they produce um, exceptional athletes because of it. They produce exceptional entrepreneurs because of it. And that's always that's kind of like stuck with me. And a lot of people that meet me that have known me for a while will, uh, it's very easy to paint me as like unemotional or very stoic. And a lot of that is just what I learned having lived in Finland and this idea of, um, you know, somebody might say no, but you can just push through it without having it hit you so hard. So it's not about like internalizing the emotion or um, letting it really just like take a hold of your life. It's more of just not caring. You just like, great. Somebody said no, fantastic. But the next person is a yes. And I spend all day on the phone doing sales. I hear no 99.9% of my day. Uh, but that one yes is always worth it. And just being not letting those emotions get to me and not being like brought down and being like focused and determined helps me get to yes. It's a great answer. Great answer. Um, what's the first film, book, song, or quote that comes to mind right now? Oh, man, I can give you one for everything. No, just give me one overall. Uh, I would say favorite, but I hate that question. But what Okay, so I'll, I'll do song. 
So on the way over here, there's a, <laughs> the only reason I'm bringing this up because somebody just texted me about it and I feel my phone vibrating, but uh, there's a band called Sloth Rust and they have a song called Horseshoe Crab. And it starts off kind of slow and then halfway through it gets a little bit more aggressive. And it's just like kind of beautiful, like garage rocky, um, like a female fronted band here. I think they're from L.A., but Sloth Rust, Horseshoe Crab. That's the song that's like in my mind right now. Why? What is it about it that, that gets it's, you? it's just a different, like I, I'm a lover of music. I've always loved it. And for some reason, this band, uh, the sound and the feel is just different than anything out there. And it's it's very rare, I think, to be surprised by new music. Everything either plays to a formula or it's, it's already been done or it's a new band that's just trying to sound like a band from 40 years ago. But this one just has something. I think it's the girl's voice. It's very, um, it's just unique. And for some reason... Got sloth rust on the brain. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. We'll put it. We'll put a link to. Yeah, not a song single person in a, in on the show podcast. in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, sloth rust. I apologize to anybody look, out no, there. No, we'll that put has a link in there, and people rust. can go see a video of it on YouTube yeah, or something. But horseshoe crab, great um, song. And then I have one last question. So, if you could give your younger self advice, when would it be? Like, what time in your younger self's life, and what would it be? Oh man, I'm still young. I know you. So my my younger you my when, younger when self. When you got here, I said, "Man, man you you're really <laughs> young." But uh, my younger self was probably not that long ago. What would I have told myself? But, I mean, you could be you could have been I don't know your seven year old self, your six year old self, your twenty one year old self, whatever you want. And you tell us when and what it would be. Um. Oh man. Uh. Okay, I, I would have told myself uh, at about 22, so that's 10 years ago for me, now that I'm, I'm aging myself, um, that it's okay to share. I've always been very hesitant about sharing. So sharing emotions, sharing anything, I kind of just like go about my business. I, I never have been big on um, like that emotional connection that you would you know, make or not make with people. And only until recently, maybe within the last three years, I saw the power of like emotional intimacy. So emotional intimacy with the people that you work with, with your family, people that you love, friends, and it's made my life exponentially better. Um, I was almost ungoogleable up until about three years ago. And so I did everything in my power to like not appear in the press, not go on TV, not be in magazines, not do podcasts, not have like an internet presence. I just didn't want um, to ever be like kind of pinned to any phase in my life. Uh, and then I realized that it's okay to like let people into your life, show them a glimpse of who you are, tell them the struggles that you're going through or the things that you're excited about or telling a bunch of random strangers that you listen to Sloth Rust. And these are okay things to share. It might make you a little weird, but uh, I would have done that. I would have done that a lot, a lot sooner. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I, I'm glad you made that decision. I'm really appreciative that you came and sat down with me. Uh, you've got an incredible mind and what you do is um, is really just kind of eye-opening to me. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Sitting down. Yeah, this man. This is great. Yeah. Okay. How's everyone doing? Are you reevaluating your grocery runs, thinking about ditching all of your furniture, wondering about your past behavior in casinos? As I said before, hopefully you listen to Matt with the angle of how to apply some of what he talks about to your life. Here's what I came up with for my top takeaways. If you feel like I missed some or you have questions or comments or anything like that, feel free to email me at info at 10,000nose.com. 
That's one zero 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 nos.com. Okay, number one takeaway, which I mentioned earlier, choose to take a breath before you make quick, rash decisions. Anyone who's listened to past episodes may or may not remember that I have forgotten to do this myself at times, like when I chose to punch a wall instead of taking a breath and ended up in urgent care with a boxer's fracture on my right hand. Not very intelligent. Passionate, yes. Smart, not so much. Okay, number two, be cognizant of the fact that people are, in fact, trying to get you to do things that benefit them. This doesn't mean you have to be suspicious, just aware so that you go into situations at least knowing where you stand and knowing the rules of the game. Number three, your dream job may not exist yet. Matt said his current job is his dream job, but it wasn't even around 10 years ago. And what I think you can learn from Matt on this one, if you're listening right now and you feel like you're stuck in a cubicle job like Matt's first job in insurance or something you feel is mundane as Matt viewed his shipping job, It's the way that you look at your job, okay? The thoughts about it and how you let it affect you. That can end up being the fuel that launches you toward your eventual dream job. It wasn't until Matt was interacting with people who couldn't save themselves because of behavioral blocks that he was led to become fascinated with his eventual career in behavioral design. So again, as we've said many times on this podcast, it's not what happens to you that determines your outcome. And like, it's not the job that you have, it's how you react to it, or it's the thoughts you have about it or how you approach it. Okay. That's it for today. I feel very fortunate to have had Matt share his unique perspective on the world with us. I hope you feel that way as well. At the very least, you're going to be the most interesting person at the next cocktail party you go to. So you got that going for you, which is nice. Uh, Again, if you're digging 10,000 no's, please leave us an iTunes review. It helps us be seen more than you realize, helps us get all these great conversations out into the universe. Drop me a line at info at 10,000nos.com if you have suggestions, complaints, or any kind of wish list item for the podcast. If you liked my conversation with Matt, you may enjoy my past chats with two other independent thinkers. Ironically, both happen to be actors, among other titles, Eric Christian Olson and the Brian Callen episode. Tune in next week. I've got a beautiful conversation coming up with Natalie Kogan, whose family escaped the former Soviet Union as refugees, came to the U.S. She learned English watching Alyssa Milano on Who's the Boss. Incidentally, Alyssa has given me a verbal commitment to do 10,000 no's later this year, which is cool. Uh, Natalie then went on to be a very successful entrepreneur before realizing her success was not equating to happiness. So she got out and started a new company happier wrote a book called happier now does ted talks and speaks around the world about gratitude that'll drop next friday so be sure to subscribe on itunes or spotify to get it automatically downloaded to your smart device or your phone or whatever it is that you listen on meantime have a great week and thanks again for joining me